aside from the environmental need, the technology is there as well. So the performance and the ride or the drive that you can get out of electric is really nice and you can attest to that, right? So I think that's a huge part of it. And I also think as, you know, we have these new concepts like automated driving and all of that, it all ties into like a more high-tech vehicle. So it's just the natural evolution, yeah. And if you look 10 years ago, people were saying, oh, maybe, you know, it's kind of like the natural gas buses and stuff like that, you know, and then things kind of taper off. Well, this has been going strong for 10 years and it's just really starting to take off. That's founder and managing director of Fonzarelli Electric Moto, Michelle Nazari. And this is episode 295 of the Osher Gensberg podcast. G'day and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 295 of the show with Michelle Nazari. She's the founder and managing director of Fonzarelli Electric Motor. It's an electric scooter company based in Redfern in Sydney. You can find out more about her. Michelle Fonzarelli on Instagram. Oh, sorry, Michelle.Fonzarelli on Instagram. So it's Michelle regularly and then dot F-O-N-Z-A-R-E-L-L-I. Um, more about her in a moment. If you're new, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. This podcast is simply a weekly conversation designed to hopefully help you make today a bit better than yesterday. That's all I'm trying to do here. Just have something you hear in the next hour or so that make you think a little bit differently about how you go about your day and hopefully in a better direction than before. If you'd like to support the show, the best way you can possibly do that is to tell someone about it, show them how to get it on their phone, you know, show them how to download an episode. That would be the best thing you can do. Um, if you want to go one step further, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, good, plot, good spots. Um, so I encourage you to review the show, uh, maybe in iTunes. Um, I'll, let me read some out. Uh, this is from A Woman in Paris. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts. In this podcast, Osh is open and genuine about his personal challenges. I really appreciate his willingness to share his personal mental health journey. The vulnerability that he shows in sharing his personal experience is truly brave. The guests Osher interviews are always interesting, intelligent, and engaging. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, a lovely another one came in from Chris, who has written that Osher's discussions are interesting and he must have a delightful, calm and caring attitude surrounding him as each person seems to give more of an insight into their purpose than I hear on most communications in life. And he sounds like a genuine and loving man. Well, I, I do have my moments, Chris, that aren't always that way. I especially enjoy the timing of the check-ins on a Friday where I use it as a personal systems review on the way to the office or chilling, having a coffee with the cat when the kids are at school. That's pretty special because I'm on the, on the bed right now. I've got one dog curled up on the right and another dog... Um, being scratched by my wife, Audrey, who's on the bed with us because little Lilo's in the cone of shame because she got de-sexed, what, three days ago now? Three days ago now. And she's got, been been shaven from, well, neck to gusset, basically. <laughs> she's quite scratchy. So Audrey's 
Audrey's manic here is helping Lilo not scratch herself to bits. So uh, I can relate to that. But thanks very much for those reviews. It's also great to know where you're listening to the show. Just send me a photo. It's called a podsy. It's like a selfie, but it's a photograph so of a pod. So podsy. Yeah, it was a long time ago that I made that word up. Anyway, um, just shoot a photo of where you are in space and time and send it in. Send us your email at gmail.com. Massive thank you to M- Michael, who's listening at Gama 2019, the big cultural festival up there in East Arnhem Land. Extraordinary part of Australia. What a, what a wonderful place to be too. Thank you so much for that, Michael. What a, what a treat to be up there with you. Wendy sent a photo of uh, Bruce the Rooster listening to the show. G'day, Bruce. Hope you had a good morning. Megan is listening on the train between Mandurah and Perth. Um, I believe it looks like the sun was coming up. So good on you, Megan, for getting up that early. And Mary sent a picture of her and Olaf, who was eight weeks old and enjoying a feed, um, listening while Olaf was uh, getting onto the bottle there. So thanks very much, Mary. And she also said, Mary sent us her best wishes, honey, which is really lovely because she said this is this is coming soon. Um, Audrey, at this point, is still quite pregnant. Um, but, you know, if you're listening... No, you, well, you can unpregnant. It's called delivery. And But if you're listening to this in five years from now, this is us without a baby but we're what a couple of weeks out four weeks out five weeks out three five three. <laughs> it's not far it's not far <laughs> so anyway thank you for your well wishes cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So let me tell you about my guest today. Michelle Nazari is the founder and managing director of Fonzarelli Electric Moto. It's an electric scooter company based in, well, electric bike company really, based in Redfern. Uh, in Sydney. Now, as you know that now, I'm, I'm a big fan of electric mobility. I test drove electric vehicles as far back as 2009, and I've owned electric vehicles since 2011. Look, there's no other way to say it. Electrification of transportation is the future. Thanks to decreasing costs of battery production and increasing emission standards worldwide, soon it will be cheaper to manufacture an electric transmission vehicle than a petrol vehicle, and then that's it. That's it. You know, as is often the case, global purchasing options depend on the most economically viable production specification. And with the largest auto market in the world being China, and China having increasingly strict laws around emissions sooner than later, 
we'll only be able to buy electric vehicles because that's the most economically viable product to produce worldwide. So it's, it's, it's coming. And, but what does all this mean? Well, it means that electric vehicles will not only transform our ability to get around, but also because with the newer ones, you can store power in the EV and pull power back out using the battery somewhat as a ballast. Um, EVs will now also be able to help power our cities when you think of the, the megawatts of now available battery storage by cars that are just sitting in garages. It's a really exciting exciting development in and what we're doing as far as how we power our lives. But on a smaller level, I tracked down Michelle and I got her on the show because I'm fascinated not only in electric mobility, but also in how she built her company. She's a total game changer in the field. She started and she runs Fonzarelli Electric Motor, which is a company based, as I said, in Redfern, that they design and build electric scooters. And I think they're prototyping an electric motorbike. You know, the, the kind of scooters that you need a, a license to ride, not like a, a foldable thing or, or something that you carry on the train. Like, these are proper things. You need a helmet. And I must warn you, we recorded this interview a little while back, and not long after talking to Michelle, I took one of these scooters for a test ride, and a few months later, I now own one of these machines. I was in the market for a scooter anyway, but once I rode it, I was I was done. Um, but this chat is not just about electric scooters. It's a chat with a very interesting woman who had a vision, and every day strives to make that vision become a reality by enrolling others in the, the grander scheme and benefits of that vision. I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Michelle Nazari. Thank you for coming. How are you today? I am good. I'm good. I'm yeah, a little tired. You're a little tired? Mm-hmm. What kept you up? Um, busy with work. We're just pumping. Yeah? Yeah. That's a good thing? Mm, yeah. Like a lot of production, challenges, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're into sustainability. Is that sustainable for you? That's a good question. Um, no, I'm putting a, you know, when you go through stages of what you're doing at that time, right now I'm focusing very heavily into just smashing out our production. So that's that's the stage right now. I love it. Did you ride here? I did ride here, yes. What did you ride here on? I rode here on an S1 moped, so it's like the middle kind of performance, but it's speed limited because it's being shipped up to Brisbane, so um, they can ride it on a car licence up there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you rode it. the vehicle that you rode here, mm-hmm. this moped, is something that you made. Yes, it's something <laughs> that we made. Yeah. <laughs> Quite late yesterday. <laughs> really? So it was pieces yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, it was well. It was half built yesterday. It's um, there's been a lot of building and rebuilding, and it's actually kind of a bit of a custom spec, which is I always like that. So we're making the bike specifically to the rider. I love that. I, I, I I've never had anyone on this podcast that has arrived here on a mode of transport that they have built themselves. Yes. You're a first. You haven't had Fred Flintstone then. N- no. Okay. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Someone might have ridden a bicycle they put together in parts, but if they did, they didn't tell me they about didn't it. They didn't tell you, yeah. No, only one person's ever ridden a bicycle to get to this show. Right. That was Dan McPherson, but he's a machine. So he's, no, he's another kind of guy who's like, is there a way that I can put a bicycle between me and where I need to get to because I need to get those hours in. So Really? Yeah. It's all about incidental exercise, oh, Michelle. Yeah. Can functional you? fitness. I do say that a lot when I'm lifting a lot of heavy things at work. I do think for someone who doesn't really exercise, I have pretty strong guns. <laughs> as long as you brace your core mm. and make sure that you, everything's in alignment, okay. you'll be Good all right. Good advice. 
Yeah, you'll be all right. I'm sure there's an OHS OHS thing. I'm sure your OHS officer, who's probably also you, yeah. is <laughs> all across that. My apprentice was just doing a bit of a course in OHS, and I was like, so we should have a bit of a sit down and a chat because we're about to do our OHS training. And I was like, you could really bring some stuff to the table, kiddo. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You currently, you live not far from here. We're in the suburb of Bronte. You live just a little bit north of here in, in Tamarama, but that wasn't always the way, was it? You used to watch the sunset over the ocean, didn't That's you? That's very true. Yeah. I grew up in Perth. Yeah. What was yeah. life like there? Um, life was pretty quiet in Perth. It probably wasn't like a great fit for me growing up. Wasn't a huge Perth fan, but you know, things change. It's not a large amount of stimulus for a young mind for you. There wasn't a lot of um, stimulus. No, you could say that. So I just tended to get into a little bit of trouble and kind of headed over to Sydney to get away from Perth. I think I told my parents I was coming over here for two weeks and it took about two years to get back. <laughs> so at 17, 18, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, so when we're talking trouble, we're just talking, I'm um, looking for something that's a little more exciting than what's going on. Trouble or? I was bullied quite uh, badly at school. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And so as a result of that, I guess dealing with that was a challenging school period wasn't super enjoyable for me. So, no. yeah. Well, you're clearly a smart person. Was that at school, uh, was it at least stimulating there? Did you find something to dig your teeth into there? Mm, not really. I was really into sport actually when I was younger. So I was a swimmer. Yeah, I was definitely digging my teeth in. I actually look at my parents now with my, my nephews in um, Tennis Australia at 10 years old and watching them run around with their kid and then looking at my dad getting up at 4.30 every morning or my mum sometimes, I guess, to take me to swimming and then in the afternoon the same thing, both sides of it, you know. That's like full dedication. So I've got to tip my hat to them for that. Yeah, when you see the value that they get out of it, mm. you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, we'll get up, That's let's super- go. Character building. Yeah, let's go. Also losing as well, you know, having the ability, like, I don't know what your thoughts are on this whole, the the young kids when they have, um, they play footy and they they don't have winners and losers. And I'm like, come on, like, we can't mollycoddle them so much. Like, that's reality of life. I'm quite tough, I guess. Don't have kids, so don't know. Michelle, I agree with you entirely. Yeah. It's more than running around in a field. Yeah. (laughs) Or jumping in a pool. Yeah. It's learning those lessons. Yeah. Those life skills, coping mechanisms, and yeah. yeah. What did your uh, What did your folks say to you about, like, say, when you went to a swim meet and you drove all the way there, and you know, you you didn't podium? Um, I had pretty realistic parents, so God, I can't remember exactly. I'm not very good at recalling things, but I, I think it was just more the, the parts that I remember the most were like I remember getting physically ill before I would get up to to dive and. Um, and I guess in some ways, like, and then once I was actually, you know, on the block, everything would just go into this serenity. And I don't know how, how I mean, you obviously have been a public figure for a long time, but when I get up in front of an audience and speak publicly beforehand, I still to this day get, like, really intense nerves. But once, and, and, and can get, like, physical symptoms of that, but once I'm kind of, like, up on that stage, I just go into this, like, complete kind of calm. It's quite interesting. So it's sort of like that has come from from those younger years. I can relate in, entirely. Yeah. I, that was my coping mechanism. That was my only escape from anxiety. Mm. I had a shit morning. 
I'm going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. I'm walking around here and Audrey's like, what is wrong with you, man? Your energy is not nice to be around. See, I know I'm feeling the weight today. Yeah. And here we are eight minutes into a podcast. I'm like, oh. It was probably because you made me that avocado with Iggy's bread. Also, but also there was some ceremony. I also created a coffee for you and yeah. da-da-da. But, you know, yeah, for me, I don't know if you relate to this. For me, mm-hmm. it's a sense of control. For me, it's a sense of, well, I know exactly what's going to happen for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. So here I go. You were how old when you evacuated Perth? I think I was just before I turned 18. So you're 17, you've just finished high school. How did the conversation... No, 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 no. I hadn't just finished high school. I was, I was, I left high school early. I got, oh. I got kicked out of school. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. So I was a bit troubled. Um, so I basically What did worked. you do right after you got kicked out of high school? What were you... I worked. I worked in a, an accounting firm and a financial planning firm. I said that I was, I made a CV. I said I was 24. Well, like this blue power suit, I was like, just 16, I couldn't drive. So I had this whole elaborate lie. I was quite good at lying. Um, and yeah. what was the gig? So it was like uh, marketing marketing in a um, financial planning firm, yeah. So I, went, I actually went back to when, – when I moved to Sydney, I went to TAFE and did a bridging course. I got the highest female score in Australia, so I got like a little mini scholarship for that and then I went to Sydney Uni. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I didn't, didn't finish. Okay, so there's so much there that I absolutely love. So number mm. one, you created this, look, I'm 16. I, uh, you know, I need to work. I finished high school. I don't want to go back there. Okay, who's got good jobs? Not 16-year-olds. 24-year-olds have good jobs. Mm. Okay, so let me sort this out. Mm. Did anyone clue on? Did anyone? Yeah, they clued on, but they never told me. So I stayed there for like, I don't know, pretty until I moved to Sydney actually. And... Um, and I was like, look, and I have to tell you, this was like when I was leaving and they were like, we worked it out after three weeks, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> that you're not 24. Yeah, that I wasn't 24. And like, I sort of turned 17 when I was still working there. So all of a sudden I, you know, went through the stage of getting my car licence as you do when you're in a smaller city, get your car licence on your 17th birthday. So um, Yeah. So, yeah. And then you, how did the conversation about mum and dad, I'm heading east go? Oh, I just, I said I was going for a few weeks and they weren't, I've got quite protective parents, like they were okay. And then I basically just wanted to leave Perth because I needed to like go somewhere where things were a little bit bigger and it was, yeah, it was a bit of a difficult time, but I really sorted myself out while I was in Sydney. I, yeah, as I said, I started studying. My parents were kind of really happy with that. They were okay. I did a similar thing, actually. Mm. I, I did go all the way. I went full term at high school, but didn't do very well. Mm. I d- didn't really align with what was happening. And then went and did a TAFE course and something that I was really good at, which was contemporary music. And then got, I don't know, if there was eight subjects, I got honours in five of them. And that just slingshotted me into university. Right. You know? <laughs> but you got the highest score in the country. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was in New South Wales. I don't want to. I don't want to over over tell it. I'm trying to think. Was it? New it was big enough to get you a scholarship. It was big enough to get something. Surely yeah. that must got a as, bit of cash. As someone who'd been up against it a bit in your education, yeah, that must have been a heck of a message. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was. It was actually just you know, it was great going back and going into uni as well and completing something is also it's similar to the sport, right? Unfortunately, not unfortunately, but I, I didn't study like what probably would be super logical, which would be engineering. I studied like Middle Eastern politics and Arabic. So 
but it was a process of completion. You know, you have to draw something out of these things, right? Look, I don't know much about business, but I'm pretty sure the conflict resolution is a part of business. And if you want conflict resolution, <laughs> Middle Eastern politics is where you're going to find it. See, I like how you think. Like I always say, you know, how can't you see the um, draw draw the line here? We've got, you know, oil and then you've got clean energy. It's like it's a natural fit, right? <laughs> but it so is. Yeah. It's so it, it's so the underpinning of yeah. of what our current energy situation is in our planet. Mm. It really is, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's not too much of a bow to draw. I'm sure there's a squillion factors. Mm. However, and, and this is extraordinary because, like, even just yesterday morning, I, I went to a business school in Amsterdam mm-hmm. uh, when I thought I wasn't going to have a TV career anymore. I right. booked into this business school in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And I, I went along, and in the middle of going along, I ended up getting a TV career again. But there I met this extraordinary woman, Princess Rima bin Banda Al Saud, yeah, all right? right? The granddad was Saud of, mm-hmm. yeah. Because they always said, oh, there's 32 people here in this class and I'll go around the room and I'll count, there's almost 33. Bodyguard. <laughs> and, um, she yesterday woke up. In our lifetimes, Michelle, we've seen women in Saudi Arabia be able to work, and this yeah. is largely because of what Princess Rima has, has done. She came on this podcast. She told the whole story. Cool. Women can now drive there. She's now been appointed. Get this. She's not only is she an ambassador for Saudi Arabia, yeah. she's the ambassador to the U.S. Yeah, really? Female wow. ambassador to the U.S. And you know how As much of, of an- Like this is happening now? Uh, yesterday. Wow, that's crazy. In our lifetimes, this has happened. And you know what that relationship geopolitically and monetarily yeah. and energy security-wise is mm-hmm. all about. Yeah. Like- in That's our crazy. lifetimes, this it, the world, if it wants to, can make extraordinarily rapid moves mm-hmm. towards positive change if it wants to. Yeah. And that shit happened yesterday. Wow. <laughs> Some big things are happening. It's super Some exciting. Big positive things. Yeah, that's cool. Now, now you mentioned that you, you should have done engineering, but from what I gather, your dad was in the game. Your dad was building yeah. things that moved, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I basically – so I, I went and studied – for a little bit in Morocco Arabic and then came back and I had a basically I w- I wanted to go somewhere in the Middle East and I wanted to further my studies and I wanted like Sydney to give me some funding and stuff and then my dad was like why don't you come and work just for 12 months in Asia and it was like a piece in his puzzle my, my sister's like studied law and, and finance and she'd worked for him for a while my brother um, worked for him for a long time and it was like you know the familial duty type thing and I was like yeah right fine okay I'll do this and I really didn't have any interest in business at all because my dad's like a very he's a self-made man and he um, was just really uh, obsessed like I guess around the family table it was always talking about business and business related things and so I looked at that and I was you know had more of a humanitarian spirit and was like I just found it really frustrating. I didn't understand and I didn't care to understand. So anyway, I went and worked in this production facility in Asia for a year. Which part? And what were you building? In its, it, yeah, buses. And it's called um, Nanchang in Jiangxi province in China. So it's like a second tier city in China. I think it's 12 million people. Yeah, it was 9 million people. I was the only white registered female. So there was about 300 foreigners. Um, there was a, a medical university there and about half of them were Indian so about 150 white fella and just one female which was me because it was obviously automotive is very male um, driven industry so that was very interesting because this was back in 2008 and so that happened it was very interesting I went through one stage where well I studied at the university I just did a part-time 
uh, Chinese, so that was kind of cool. So I learned a bit of Chinese and stuff and read and write and everything. But I also went through one stage where I drank, like, way too much, and then I went through another stage where I'd run, like, 15 kilometres every day. So it's, like, over that 12 months, it was, like, six months of, like, debaucherous, like, solo drinking and then, like, just flipped this lid in my head and six months of, like, you know, Forrest Gump kind of style stuff. Rocky montage, <laughs> training montage, here we go. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that happened. I realised I really love production. Um, we built a hybrid bus and then I was also involved in, that was um, rolling out, it was like the first commercially used hybrid bus in Australia and then we built an electric bus and we did this with um, a company called Crown Coaches down in Victoria and, and the Victorian government, mm, a little bit of support. Won't go too much into that. Um but I, but I really enjoyed that process and that's when I kind of started tinkering, which was around 2009. Right. And going, okay, this is pretty, like, simple technology. You've got this part, you've got this part. Mm, let's see if we can make a scooter. Um, Why scooters? Uh, it was a stepping stone to motorcycles because um, I've always – well, I've always been, like, in love with motorbikes. Um, I've also – I like all things automotive, really. Um, and um, – but – more towards like older cars. Um, I used to quite like older bikes. I, I was always quite into vintage stuff as well. Scooters seemed like something achievable that I would want when I was, for example, when I went to Sydney Uni. I lived in the Cross in, in Potts Point and, you know, where the uni is. It would take me over an hour on public transport. It's maybe five kilometres Yeah, it would be faster to walk pretty much or yeah. have a, a slow canter kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I always lived in apartments and I was like I wanted to make something that was feasible mm. for my lifestyle and um, motorbikes seemed like a huge chunk to chew off because there's a lot more engineering required in it. So, yeah, I started out with scooters and, um, yeah, it was a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Coming, having the grow up in Perth and, and seeing what Sydney was, mm. when you saw just the scale and the rapid pace of development an infrastructure layout in China, what did that do to your idea of what's possible? Yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing. I think there's, like, a lot of closer-minded people that don't really understand, like, this different. It's like a, you know, different universe, and it was mind-blowing. That city there is, as I said, second-tier city, which just basically means the first city tiers would be, like, the Beijing, Shanghai, etc. Second-tier is, like, in their economics and their all the socioeconomic things. That city now, if you go back there, which I haven't, but my brother went back there for a wedding a couple of years ago and took photos and videos and stuff. It looks like freaking New York. It's insane. It's so modernised now where that 9 million people that I was living with, you know, it was like a whole area got developed and it was like a lot of people that had it worked in agriculture and all of a sudden they were within a city. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing and it makes you realise how... Like wonderful, we ha what what a wonderful country we have here, but also how much more is out there. Yeah, it's exciting. It, it is my my brother. He works in the automotive industry, right. and um, he spent some couple of years in China with his husband, and he would just tell stories of like, mm. oh no, we took the high speed rail. The last time we went there, we had to take a bus, but now there's a three hundred kilometer round train. <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of making that up. But it would say stuff like that. It's like, yeah. oh, and they laid the track a month ago. Dude, get this right. So I was uh, had it, my cousin who's an engineer, he's from Italy, and he's like one of my best, kind of like one of my best mates. We're the same age. He grew up in my family's home village. So we had a really boozy night on Strega, which is like the alcohol of our area, and it's just like dodgy as, and we 
boop, I was pretty hungover. I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to get this high-speed train. I'm vegetarian. I have been for like 23 years. So it's pretty tough sometimes if you're not in the right situation. I was in Xiamen, which is like the island near sort of more towards the Taiwan archipelago. And uh, I got to like KFC and I was like, okay, I'm just going to have like uh, a piece of like cheese muffin or whatever you call that from KFC and a black coffee. And I get up there. I've got WeChat and I went to try and pay and they're like, no, 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 we don't take like cash or credit cards anymore. So I had to like, I tried like multiple different ways of like trying to find some funds and um, and then I had to like end up traveling for like six hours without like water or, you know, coffee more importantly um, because like they've evolved, they've gone like they've jumped straight from like currency and bypassed credit cards pretty much and they've gone straight to like mobile, you know, mobile, mobile payments. payments, yeah. And it's like you literally cannot like I can't I can't feed myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're worlds ahead of us. It, it, and it's and I, uh, Marty used to say that and because I, I worry a lot about our environment, Michelle, mm. and uh, he would say, look, the Chinese will just flick a switch. Mm. They'll flick a switch and that's it. There's no more coal. Mm. And then what are we going to do? Because that's all we've got is mm. selling coal. Mm. They'll flick a switch and then India will flick a switch and then it's over mm. and it'll happen. But it won't just be like gradual. It, yeah. it won't be. They're not into gradual. They're not into phasing it. No. <laughs> No, no they're it. not into phasing it's out. It's mental. <laughs> no, and the thing is what's extraordinary about the way from what I understand that society is, yeah. the, the feeling of the population towards the state and the loyalty to the greater nation yeah. is so profound. It's like, mm. fuck yeah, no more coal, <laughs> no let's more go. Coal. Yeah, They're totally. right into it. Yeah. You know, whereas here it's like, you can't take my thing. How <laughs> dare you ride a fucking bike? Yeah. Oh my! Yeah. You know, it's so true. And I like, put on an old white man voice deliberately. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like we're gonna have no option because the decision's gonna get made for us. Wow! You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, what I hear the other day, um, they've commissioned eighty-five nuclear reactors, mm. building eighty-five reactors. All right. Like, <laughs> wow! This idea that we'll just sell coal and we'll be sweet. How many years have we got? You know, not very many. <laughs> so, wow. so that's why I kind of I'm fast, like that's why I love, you know, I'm sure there's many, many aspects of that society that could be better as far as human rights and personal choice and, and, mm. and, and things like that. Yet on the other side of that coin, it's like when the state says this is what we're doing, yeah. everyone goes, radio. Let's move with the new way. I'm yeah. not a farmer anymore. I now work in an office. I was a farmer three months ago and now I live in the city where Michelle was. Yeah, and exactly. I used to farm the land that the apartment yeah. block is on. That's yeah, so true. <laughs> that is so true, yeah. yeah. Leaps and bounds over that. It's mental. Yeah, the leapfrogging is the fascinating thing. Mm. I had James Fielding. He makes, he's from a company called Ordera. They make headphones. And he was talking about trying to get a chipset built. He tried really hard mm. to get a chipset built here in Australia. And they gave him like a, a five-month lead time. Mm. And he said he went to a company there and they had a prototype on his desk in six days. Yeah. It's just different. Do you find like, that with your work? Yeah, look, I mean, I try and build more and more in Australia and obviously, like, you know, there has to be a balance between feasibility and we still make a range of stuff in, in Asia and it's like sometimes it's just like, yeah, things can move so much quicker and their equipment is so much better. Like battery packs, for example, we'd need to invest for um, assembling like our power pack housing. We'd need to invest 
minimum a million dollars in Australia, which really isn't a great investment of our funds because it's not really R&D. And over there, they just have these like mental facilities that are just, you know, everything's automated. There's not like one human person working in there anymore. And it just looks like a sci-fi movie and they can just turn it around like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough balance. Like, you know, everyone wants everything to be manufactured locally, not a hell of a lot of support for that to happen. And then we don't really have the workforce to kind of make it happen as well. The workforce with the skill set? Well, I'm sure we have the skill set, but we don't have people working. Like, I'm sure there are people that have the skill set. Um, in terms of like machinery and equipment, we don't have the infrastructure. But yeah, sometimes it's like, you know, some small things like fabrication of like, say, CNCing something quite small and fabricating that and making that. Um, it might be something quite simple. It might be something you can order from, you know, Thailand and it costs like, four dollars and it's exactly the same material and then because there's not a lot of manufacturing in australia uh the the local guy that cnc's my stuff the cost that they're paying for those raw materials is like 50 times the price and then they obviously have a much higher cost to charge us and so something that might cost me like two dollars in thailand can cost like 70 dollars and it's something that is doesn't have that value of 70 dollars for somebody to purchase in the fonzarelli electric you know yeah What's the C to C? What's that? CNC, it's like, um, you know, machined bits of metal. It's making something out of nothing. Yeah. So basically we'll like do a CAD drawing and um, say we need to change like the design in the way that we hold the the forks of the front of a bike or something Uh like that. And we'll design that on the computer and then we'll get a company to sort of machine make that. Right. So, yeah. I really do. I want to talk to you about the future of mobility Mm -hmm. uh, and where you see things going so you went scooters as a, as a way in yeah. um because you selfishly you're like i want this for me mm-hmm. and that's fine <laughs> but thankfully you've you're also working on a solution which i mean anyone that's spent any time in asia at all will know that a scooter's it Scooter's the minivan. Scooter's, you can see five people on a scooter. Yeah, totally. I just yeah. moved my apartment that I had for 10 years. I just sold in Bondi and I literally just moved out of it on the scooter. Everyone's like, you are mental. The only thing I couldn't get was my paddleboard because I didn't have the surf rack. I was like, <laughs> everything else I literally moved out on the scooter. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love it. But it's a solution that I feel, am I just, because I'm, do I have the bias like, you know, when you buy a Toyota Camry, then all you see is Toyota Camrys? Mm. Because I'm interested in getting a scooter or mm. I'm riding a motorcycle at the moment and all I see is motorcycles. Mm. But do you see more? Are there more scooters on the road in Australia at the moment? Yep. It's really interesting because if you look at the data, there's like, I think it's called the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries that does the data for like motorcycle and scooters. And for years since, I mean, I've been in this kind of game for the two-wheel game, I guess, for you know, almost a decade. And I've been, it doesn't make any sense because you, our customers can't get in to book their scooter licenses because it's so booked up or their motorbike licenses, so booked up. And it appears like all I really see is bikes, you know, I'm just seeing everything two wheels, not really bicycles. And it's like, it doesn't make sense that the data is saying that it's going down and yet it really appears to be going up a lot. And so I understood that that's because the um, traditional front runners, which were like, you know, the Vespa and Piaggio, they're the ones that actually give their data. And there's a lot of new players in the space. Like us, for example, our data isn't even collected. So yeah, there's definitely a lot more bikes on the road. When we went to book our mm. pre-learners. Where did you do it? Course, we did ours at 
St. Ives. St. Ives is the best. It was really good. Yeah, it's really good. It's yeah. so pretty. Yeah, but it was also, yeah. It was and the great. course is great there too. The course is great. We were taught by, uh, and he's a ex-SAS British mm. guy who out here works for the Navy, teaches motorcycle riding and is oh. part-time. So as far as instruction goes, yeah. it was solid. Yeah, <laughs> left, right, left. Taught yeah. us like a soldier. Yeah, you know, nice. Like everything was in threes. I remember it all yeah. still. Um, but, yeah, to book our our written test, yeah. it was like a month's wait. Yeah. However, we are in a part of the city that is Deliveroo and Uber Eats Central. True, 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 yeah. So every traveller who can ride mm. uh, or is an international scooter licence, mm-hmm. which they all do because they have them at home, yeah. is out here earning extra bucks yeah. delivering my pad ties in the evening. Mm. Um, so they're all, yeah. you know, they're, so uh. that might be a false... Inflation of the of the the numbers a bit in this part of the city, but in other yeah. parts of the city, I would... yeah, I don't know. Look, I just think there's a lot more bikes on the road. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny. Yeah. Growing up in Brisbane, you know, you just never saw a scooter yeah. ever. Yeah. It just wasn't an option. Yeah. We were sold this massive, heavy four wheeler yeah. Holden. That's it. That's what you're yeah. going to ride or drive. This huge four liter yeah. engine. It- it's kind of still like that up there. Like I ride a little bit up. I kind of ride a little bit all over Australia. I tend to, that's how I'm getting around most of the time everywhere. And um, considering like in, when you compare Adelaide and Perth where you've got the same rules as um, Queensland and you don't need a scooter or motorbike licence to ride a 50cc equivalent, like there seems to be a lot more people taking it up in Adelaide and Perth. And Brisbane's like a great little I don't know, it's sort of got quite a cosmopolitan feel to it and and it would actually be quite a good city to get around a lot of those kind of inner city areas on a scooter and people just, I, I feel like there's still, or maybe it's also you've got quite a good cycling path system in Brisbane. I love thinking about cities. I should have been a, a city planner or something. But it's, it's you're, you're absolutely yeah. right and that was also, and I think about this mm. a lot because as far as cycling paths and, and I've, terrible because i've been spoiled because i was in amsterdam for a while mm. this city is sydney it's just fucked it's uh, so bad you know and but there again it's because you're dealing with 16 city councils trying to decide you know if mm. you want to build a path that runs from a you know a place of population intensity into the cbd you've got to pass across four city councils and you've got to convince four different people yeah. to pay for this stuff and give up parking spaces whereas brisbane the city council is one gigantic thing that yeah. whole thing is one council yeah. so they go we're going to build a 30-kilometre bike path, let's go, mm-hmm. and boom, it's on. And it goes from – and it's adjacent to the southeast freeway. It goes – you know, I've yeah. ridden that thing for 20Ks and still it keeps going. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to turn around now because I'm hungry. Yeah, <laughs> you can go home. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really, really something. When you see the barriers to people, you know uh, – I mean, for me, even if it's, if it's a petrol yeah. um, uh, two-wheeler, it is still ultimately – less emissions to manufacture the thing, mm. way less energy to get around mm-hmm. and way less demand on space when you need to park it yeah. wherever you park it. Um, what are the barriers that people have to, uh, you know, wanting to go down that path? I think there's a bit of a misconception around safety. Like uh, my, I have like quite a strong opinion that when you're, you know, going around like a mountain and you can't see what's around the corner, yeah, you're you're not in complete control. But when you're in a city environment, you're almost in complete control of your environment. And people say things like, oh, people are crazy. Sydney drivers are crazy. And I think that the misconception around people are actually maybe not amazing at riding and um, is probably you know, equally on point. Um, Also, like, 
education around, you know, lane filtering. I don't know. I'm, you know, my political statement on the back of my helmet, lane filtering is legal. People let's don't. Just, let's explain what that is. Lane filtering means like slicing through the lanes and what the rules are. And people really don't know because I talk about it with people all the time. Riders don't really know. But pretty much across Australia now you can, as long as you're travelling at less than 30 kilometres and the um, cars on the road are moving slowly, you can filter between two cars. Um, what you can't do is go on the outside of the lane, so you can't go on the, say, pedestrian sidewalk kind of sidewalk, footpath, mm. footpath. Barley style. Um, yep, yep, can't do that and can't go over the double lines for obvious reasons. But lane filtering through the centre of the lanes and, you know, it takes common sense. And, again, like I, when I ride, it's like I'm playing a video game and it's like, you know, you're, you're like it's it's highly competitive for me. And, and people go, Doesn't that, isn't that stressful? And I'm like, no. I find for the start of my day it's like completely focuses me. I'm like everyone is my enemy and I will get to work safely and screw you kind of. So, yeah, I think that that's probably like the misconception around like safety and people being like taking it being responsible for yourself, I think that's a big one. And I think uh, incentivization. so, I mean, particularly around electric, and this is, you know, the Australian government or the state governments are 10 years behind other countries equally developed around incentivizing electric. But I was even, I was chatting to an old colleague the other day and she was saying she's about to sell her petrol scooter because she's just moved to Barangaroo her workspace and she can't find any kind of parking. So I think um, obviously for me I'm a huge environmental and EV enthusiast and I don't want to encourage more petrol scooters on the road. Even the production of, like, petrol scooters is absolutely horrendous for the people building them. Like, in I've been to factories and it's just like... <coughs> splatter kind of quite gross but you know you've got all these kind of like dead places in the city just spaces where maybe there's residential above having like silent vehicles being able to park in those areas would be a great use of space in general like areas where it's wide enough for people to be able to walk through allowing bikes to park on the footpath like melbourne i think it gives a great cosmopolitan feel it adds, adds character to the city and uh, not penalising, like, you know, getting a $112 fine for having your scooter parked in, happened to my friend yesterday in Potts Point for more than, you know, the two hours. It's ridiculous. So I think all of this, like, you know, what we're already used to, the over-policing and then under incentivization, you know, I think they're barriers. There's a lot there to unpack <laughs> that I, I, I love because I, 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 again, totally biased. And I lived in California for t about 10 years and I've seen yeah. what incentivization for electric vehicles can be. My first EV, the government, not only did they give me a thank you, the government not only gave the American government gave me, well, California really, mm -hmm. uh, gave me a great tax break on the purchase of the car. Yeah. The government also had a program in with the charging station installer. Yeah. So if you ordered the EV and you paid for it within a certain cutoff date, they subsidise the installation of the installing, the big yeah. 240 volt installer, in, right. which in America is a big deal because they have 110. Yeah, because there there's a really pressing problem of air quality. Right. So they're doing all they can to, it's super easy for them to do that. It's the, the money that they spent, you know, giving me the tax rebate on both the the car and the installer is probably nothing compared to the overall costs of the air being 
awful. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we are, I think yet yeah, there needs to be that, that other pressure that is bipartisan mm. upon governments and it sucks. Uh, and it does, again, it's, it's, you know, once you've seen other countries and you've gone like, wow, you know what, what's an inner city like when there's so many more quiet vehicles yeah, around? It's actually nice. pretty nice. Yeah. I can say just from riding, like, electric is so much more peaceful and enjoyable. The lack of vibration and the lack of noise, it, it just uh, uh, yourself as the rider is just a totally different level. Obviously, then, for the community as well, it's a huge difference. What do you say, then, to the uh, – my friend Torsten used to say it all the time as a German guy, loud pipes save lives. Oh, yeah, I know. And it's such – like, I would argue, and I don't like getting into this argument too much because it kind of feels defensive, but, yeah, when you're, again, going around, like, a mountain and maybe they can hear you coming and you can't see them, but when I'm on the road, the person I trust more than anyone else and almost I trust everyone else zero is myself, and you actually hear everything else around you much better and have much better – sort of peripheral sensibilities when you have a silent bike. So wow. I think that's a good argument. Having them parked as well in a place that, you know, you wouldn't want a, a scooter pulling up underneath your house at 6.30 in the morning when someone's yeah. got an early shift, but uh, like a petrol scooter, I should say. Uh, but if you had a, a silent, like a bicycle or whatever, mm. a, or a silent vehicle, mm. no, you wouldn't even notice. Yeah, that's we wouldn't even right. know that that's there, and that it, how it changes the way people move around the city, and reducing pressure on public transport, and you know, reducing. I mean, what it ultimately do is like you know, you pay from the CBD, you pay sixty bucks <laughs> to yeah. park for three hours, man. I know it's mental. Yeah, yeah it's pretty intense. Mm. Where do you see? You know, what do you think it would take to get that kind of incentives to happen within a? Would it be a council that you go to for, for the government? I think it's got to be at state level. I, th I think it, it's got to happen at some point. I don't know. I, I, I stopped fighting those sorts of fights because I've got a lot of projects on the boil and I went through a period where I was like, – there was a period where in Victoria the Victorian government had this thing with um, hybrid motorcycles and scooters had free um, registration, which was – just crazy because there was no such thing as like a commercially sold hybrid motorcycle or electric motorcycle or scooter. So I was like, yeah, cool, I'm going to register our bikes in that category. And um, after, you know, 12 months, the uh, Vic Roads cottoned on. And then what they did is they were like, well, we don't know where to put you, so we're just going to put you into like the second highest category, which was also wrong because at that time our that was that we only still had our first generation of bikes, so the top speed was 70 kilometres an hour, so it wasn't realistic to go into this, you know, like a pretty 500cc motorbike. Because um, their registration goes on power to weight, Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So And they were like, we're just going to put you in this category. It didn't have any logic behind mm. it. It was just like, you're going to go there because we don't know where you go. And they said that, you know, most electric motorcycles were like, more in this category, but we're by far the biggest seller of electric scooters or motor we're classified a motorcycle. Um, and Zero, the one you were talking about that don't sell in Australia anymore, they only ever sold less than 100 bikes in Australia. So, you know, they just classified all of us into this kind of higher category. Mm. And um, that was 2016. And I had no idea how to fight it. So I was fighting Vic Roads. Yeah. But it's actually the Department of Transport that has to, and then they, you know, they write the legislation and I don't really understand how this stuff works enough. But you kind of, they're not going to change it halfway through yeah. until the next bill goes through. I don't know. The next how, how is it, 
for yeah. you creating, obviously, you know, people could probably understand the challenges of creating a brand and, and trying to get into a packed market already. Mm. And as, a, as an Australian player trying to get into this market, like mm. what are the challenges you face? In the earlier days, like building, it's really hard to get a good team. Like I think, you know, people always talk about in, in business, if you go to any events or whatever about business, they always talk about the team and when you're like just one person or two people, it's really hard to attract people and um, that's a big challenge. Also, you don't have systems in place. So developing the systems, not going broke, um, these are the, the bigger challenges and then you know, working through the processes. We were we were trying to, I guess, like the laws hadn't been written around electric when we were starting out. So it was just so much grey area and confusion and just working through all of that compliance. But I have to say the easiest thing is I can't say our headaches, as we kind of grow quite rapidly, our challenges don't decrease at all. But now having like an amazing group of people around that we support each other and we're all working towards the common goal. It makes your problems divide in the stress levels, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you first started building up, did you think you just be selling it to people like yourself? Like what's been the most surprising customer? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a good question because a lot of people say, oh, it must be like young students and da, da da I think we only have like one customer under, I don't know, might be exaggerating, but like a few under 25. So the early adopters were like 35 to 55-year-old male finance kind of techie guys. We had like a lot of majority of male, so more than 70% of our customers are male, a lot of like doctors and people in the medical space, which was, I thought it's actually really on point because you've got people that if you work in a medical field, probably you're caring, I would say. Then there's the science side as well. So it's kind of got this like social conscience and technology interest. So of our first 100 customers, like 20% of them were like, either doctors, surgeons or a physio or whatever, you know. Right. That was kind of interesting, such a strong percentage. People who are literary and, or at least scientifically literate mm. to understand that their personal choice makes a difference and to have a conscious choice around their everyday actions as yeah. to an overall impact that yep. they would have. I think so. It's not, it's not rocket surgery to, to have a look at where we as a race of mm. humans on this spinning ball of water and dirt in space yeah. need to make changes if we want to have any chance of getting out of this. Why 
I've, I've done some work with, with Niss and I've been mm-hmm. driving a, a Leaf since 2011. This is yeah. my, th- my third one that I'm driving now. Oh, cool. uh, it's, I did two in the States and this is my third one here. Um, nice. Can't wait till the new one comes out. <laughs> uh, but I've done a, a, a bit of work with them. Over yeah. an, I did an event with them a couple of months ago and I learned a lot about how much of our uh, passenger, just punter passenger fleet will yeah. be electrified. Yeah. Um, the numbers are staggering. Yeah, it's crazy. Why, why do you feel, feel it's moving in that direction? Um, I mean, I think that aside from the environmental need, the technology is there as well. So the performance and the ride or the drive that you can get out of electric is really nice and you can attest to that, right? So I think that's a huge part of it. And I also think as, you know, we have these new concepts like automated driving and all of that, it all ties into like a more high-tech vehicle. So it's just the natural evolution yeah yeah and if you look 10 years ago people were saying oh maybe you know it's kind of like the natural gas buses and stuff like that you know and then things kind of taper off well this has been going strong for 10 years and it's just really starting to take off Mm. and the economic case is pretty strong as well too isn't it yeah so with with our bikes like we kind of our price point is around the same as what you'd pay for an equivalent vespa in each of our vehicle categories but the return on investment is awesome so depending on how many kilometers you can have compared to a bike that's say 30 percent less expensive petrol scooter rather within three years you're making money so because it costs so little to buy the electricity to put in the yeah that's one part and also the servicing is probably the bigger part so we for example do capped price servicing you'll never have bill shock it's 150 dollars a year includes consumables and um you know, after if you buy a cheapy petrol scooter or motorbike, the money is made in the um, servicing. So, you know, it could be already at year two or three that you get a really expensive service bill. So I was like that with my Nissan the other day. I took it down to the – it's mm. like it's a 2012, so it's mm. got to go mm. quite a bit. I've mm. got to put it up on the blocks and get the slip every year. Yeah. And the guy just – he couldn't believe it. He goes, mate, this is 85 bucks. Yeah. He said a 2012 <laughs> of one of our other cars, you're looking at over 400. Yeah. Because there's like three things to do. Yeah, right. You know, That's so cool. Smear a thing of this on that gasket over there, and not even a gasket like that. Not even an O-ring, like something. Because like, <laughs> there's no O-rings. There's no gaskets. There's no it's gaskets. just like <laughs> make sure that bit of machinery is lubricated. Um, double check that this is tight enough, and plug this in and do a diagnostic, and you're done. <laughs> That's it. Done skis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there's good. so few moving parts. I think that's the other thing that. Yeah. And. You know, as more as as things like solar and stuff like that become even more widespread, and it's mm. not just early adopters. It just and it's not people. Uh, I personally feel like once it becomes just the obvious economic choice, mm-hmm. the environmental choice, it, it, it won't be labelled as mm, you're fucking greeny. It's just mm. like, oh wow, how much money are you saving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, the That's argument so cool. is, it's it's no longer this talkback radio. You know, why didn't you support me? Mm. Saving money, man. Yeah, it, I know. It, it, and that the the sustainable choice and the environmental choice is also the wise economic choice. Yeah, I feel when you get those three together, and, that's when it's uptake and convenience as well, right? I think that's a big part of it. Like the inconvenience of me when I am in our work van, which is ICEs, you know, when I have internal combustion engine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when I have to go and get petrol, I'm like, ah, fuck. <laughs> I'm so frustrated with that because I'm so not used to doing that anymore ever, you know. Yeah. Tell me about charging your scooters. Is it like if I can't ride up to a PowerPoint, yeah. is that a problem? 
No, there's there's two options. So they were originally designed to take out and charge indoors. Um, so you pull it out like a suitcase, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like a tiny suitcase. No. Well, how how big is the battery pack? Yeah. So so the earlier models were. Yeah, quite big, but now it's less than nine kilos, and it's sort of I'd say more like a like a laptop, but thicker, mm. like a laptop size, but thicker. And so those ones charge indoors, and you can do like hundred k's with fifty kilometers each under the saddle. And then there's bigger packs that designed for more for charging in the bike, but also with options to be removable as well if you yeah. if you prefer. Because mm. that's you know obviously that's when you're riding a scooter, it, it's. It's not like my car where people get range anxiety. The first thing they always, well, where the fuck can you go? It's like, mm. well, I live in Sydney and I don't ever drive to go on holidays. I yeah, take yeah, a yeah. plane. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's that's yeah. pretty much it. And if you, if you ride a scooter, you're not going to be doing 40Ks a day. Not you, likely, yeah. No, you've got a scooter because you do like 10Ks each way. Yeah, just, yeah. Just to turn that's around right. and, yeah. Get here, get there, convenient, no parking problems, etc. Yeah. And what's the charging time that people will be looking at? It's a fast charge is one hour and um, and then we also have trickle charging overnight. So most pe- most of our customers are doing like 3,000 Ks a year, somewhere thereabouts. So that kind of ties into, the, you know, yeah. it's pretty, pretty low kilometres. And you can either just charge like, you know, once a week or whatever yeah. or you can charge it every single Every single time. Well, so. you put your phone on charge, you put your bike. Yeah. That's yeah. the same I do with my car. You're just, yeah. Just plugging it in. Yeah. At the end of it, particularly when I'm working a lot. And so I'm basically doing a full battery cycle every yeah. day. You just plug it in at the end of the day like you do your phone. And yeah. that's, it's second nature. Yeah. You don't think about it. No, you really, you really, really don't. What do you think the greater impact of having more EVs on the road would be? And, and, and why is it something that, you know, w- what are people not thinking about benefit wise? Look, I think if you had more EVs, like I think especially like public transport, like could you imagine just, uh, I mean, you live in a super quiet area, but if you were on a main street and electric buses were going up and down the street like Bondi Road or something like that, that would be like a total game changer for you in terms of your quality of life. You wouldn't have the, you know, roar up the up the hill or whatever. So I, I think like it would be the noise pollution, the pollution, these would be... Big differences. Do you think that's where the mm. next big hit is? Is like the infrastructure changes of, say, for example, the the you, we live in the Waverley City Council mm. uh, of Sydney, and I'm sure it's like whatever other city council you have. That when it comes time to change their fleet over, that they mm. go, all right, that's it, we're going electric, let's do this. Yeah, I I, I think again, it's going to come down to the government incentivizing it because I know in Australia when with my um, family business and we did EVs with the, the the company that we kind of took a big financial hit on it and also the company that put them into their fleet to absorbed a lot of that and when you look overseas to countries that we still build a lot of electric buses for the like um, the and hybrids for like the UK and for Netherlands and um, countries that where there's a huge uptake it's really really needs to be incentivized because the vehicles are the cost of ownership upfront cost is much higher. It's total game changer. But the cost of running it is much lower. Much lower, yeah. Yeah. You talk about servicing a car. You mentioned the service you've got to do on a commuter bus. Yeah. It's got to be huge. And also I think the a big part of it is like, you know, new technologies and infrastructure. So with BCI, with my father's company, they have um, I think they work with like five or six different um, tech companies um, from different countries around the world and um, with all different technologies and ways of charging um, and 
you know, when somebody, I invested in a company, it was one of the engineers, he's from Melbourne, and he developed a technology which is freaking cool. It's like the controller and the charger act as one. So you've got like a far less expensive um, unit. This is going to make me a billionaire, by the way, so it's very exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, that was for a first seed investor, so it was really cool. But, um, yeah, like that's something that would, instead of costing like, you know, maybe infrastructure of ten or 15 or 20,000 and having to have like a bus um, depot, having something on board that was already in the vehicle doubling as up as something else. So as these um, technologies develop and new cool things come out, um, I think that then you'll also see more potential for buses. And Tell me about the uh, one thing I guess that's exciting for me is mm-hmm. when I look at the new model uh, of the car that I'm, you know, mm-hmm. currently driving, yeah. uh, the battery pack is the same size, mm-hmm. yet... Efficiency. It's got 40% more yeah. power in it. Yeah. And this is in in five years. Yeah, and that's a really good point. The energy density. Pe- people always... It's the energy density and it's also, like, the efficiency of, like, other parts, like, might be the motor or whatever. So the advances in the, the lithium technology is great. Um, the other... The supporting roles, the rest of the powertrain, what they can do is also really exciting. And I think that's where you'll see even more advances at the moment. I think the next um, – there's battery technologies out there that are far more advanced than these the lithium um, 2170 cells like what you have in the Tesla. Um, but they won't be taken up because there's so much – multi-billions of dollars of investment into these gigafactories in, you know, US, China, et cetera. So that'll kind of be pushed down, these battery technologies, until there's what's it called, amortisation of, of the of these um, of these gigafactories. But it's like, yeah, all of that supporting stuff around it is really exciting. So the other argument that I think is important to have mm-hmm is, yes, you might be driving in an EV, but you're still burning coal to get the power. Yeah, right. So tell me about how the uptake of EVs will change how we get our electricity. What do you think? I think, you know, I don't know, this this is less less my area. Hopefully, if, if, it, if it is that Australia continues down the coal path for a long time, um, there's definitely an advantage of the emissions being in a um, controlled environment. So there, there can be – there's potential for coal to be cleaner, obviously. Mm. <laughs> um, sensitive subject. And um, whether, like, the government decides to invest into other areas, like, more heavily, I'm not sure. But at least there is continual development into ways of – these power sources being more environmental. Mm. Yeah. My, it's a toughie. It is. It really, it really mm. is. My my car's got a 24-kilowatt-hour battery yep. in it. It would take a fairly hefty solar system to charge that yep. uh, on on one day or, yeah. you know, to go from zero to hero if I needed it. Um, yeah. That would be tricky to do. Mm. You'd need a, a lot of panels to get that up. Yeah. However, what are the size of your battery packs? 1.65 kilowatt hours, 3.3, which is now 3.5 this year, and um, 4.5 kilowatt hours we're just finishing. Right. So that's so, yeah. that's like a regular house. Yeah. You pump that out quite easily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Quite easily. Yeah. And if, if you say they're removable, you could just leave one at home while you're at work and then mm-hmm. the next day's one's good to go. Mm-hmm. So being yeah. having the ability to 
you ride your motorcycle to work for free, it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> so true. That's pretty good. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I, part of me as well kind of likes the idea of, I guess, stick it. I mean, I we buy our energy from somewhere where it's offset and is you know mm. sourced from uh, renewable sources yeah. so we pay a little more for it yeah, but same, yeah. I'm happy to do that um, but be able to kind of stick it to the man a bit by going mm. I don't need your power fuck mm. you yeah. I got my, I got my it's so, free yeah. <laughs> there's a, there, did you know that there's a nuclear fusion reactor in the sky and it's free I'm going to use that to get to work today <laughs> <laughs> super cool yeah. self sufficient it's very nice well I think you know more and more we'll be able to do that and yeah. you know as that starts to happen as as devices that we use every day become more efficient uh mm. you know whether it be our refrigerators or air conditioners to end up being able to do the same job but with less power yeah and as similarly the battery storage in the house and the solar panels get more efficient mm-hmm. eventually the pressure on the delivery system of the electric infrastructure and the electricity network becomes you know less and less and and maybe you know we're all generating what we need mm-hmm. wouldn't that be something yeah do you reckon we'll see that in our lifetime? I do, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, where where we from where we are 10 years ago to where we are today, I'm really excited to see the next 10 years. Yeah, and I also think, like, I'm a big believer in um, automated vehicles and I do think it's an exciting time for less congestion on the road and more people working, more flexible hours and just having more efficient cities in general. And I think all of this attention around what's happening in the EV space is pushing all of that innovation forward also. So I think it's a pretty exciting time and I think in 10 years it will be even better. And I think at the core of it, it, it yeah, if, if we went for me because I come across as such a bloody screaming lefty sometimes um if i went with the environmental part of it so many people would just shut off but if what you were talking about earlier if, if i'm talking is we have yeah we have buses that come down this street mm. over here i won't say the name of it but we have buses that come down this street all night long mm. all right and it's yeah this apartment where mm. we live without that bus noise mm. damn yeah that's a nice idea isn't it yeah you know and if i if so therefore if i start going down the quality of life mm. You know, it's huge. How much would it change where you live if you couldn't hear cars? Mm. What? Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it would be, yeah, it's a huge game changer. Like that, that is something that will speak to both sides of conservative and, yeah. and, and liberal politics, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's funny when you have, I had so much noise because I lived on Campbell Parade in Bondi for a long time. And, it's a main drag, man. Oh, man, it was so intense. And I would say I was on the quieter part of it, but far out, it was Brussels sprout. I didn't realise. You, you you block it out. But then I went to a really quiet apartment and it's just you value that so, so much, you know, but your peace, your peace of mind. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I'm less crazy now as well than what I was 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm so stoked you came around. I'm so grateful we got to have this conversation. I'm, I, I have a fair idea of who listens to this show, but I'm pretty sure we talked about a bunch of stuff that many people haven't considered when it comes to buying their next car, buying mm. or thinking about how they get from place to place. That, as an option, as a thing to consider, it's mm. so, it's so there. Yeah. It's so Stubble. there. Yeah. yeah. It's so there. Thanks for coming around, Michelle. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, no worries. Hope you enjoy the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) That 
was Michelle Nazari. You can find her on Instagram, michelle.fonzarelli. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E dot F-O-N-Z-A-R-E-L-L-I. Big thanks to my show producer, Rachel Barrett, who helped us make uh, today happen. Thank you to my audio producer, Andy Marr, who cut the show up and made it all sound special. And, of course, my music producer, Toe who made all the music. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all the ratings. Thanks for the reviews. And I'll talk to you on Friday. Until we speak then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.